I am going to tell you a story here at the beginning of our uh, lesson this morning. It's a story about a dog. And if you will listen very carefully, this sets the foundation for everything that I'm going to say today. This will illustrate it so well, even a blind person could get this one from what I'm going to talk about today. Five years ago this month, uh, Bethy and I were down at the coast uh, fishing, and I, I, back at home, I had two labs. I had an 11-year-old lab named Lady and a 14-month-old lab named Jenny that I was training. And while we were gone, uh, Lady and Jenny got out of the fence, got down on the highway, and an 18-wheeler hit them and killed them both instantly. So it just devastated me. Those are my hunting dogs, and one was, one was basically from the past, and one was my future. And so I, I needed a dog. And it's July, and duck season be coming up in November, and dove season in September, so I needed a dog. So we began to look for where I could find me a lab, and we found online, we found a, a, a breeder down in Quero, Texas, and his, uh, one of his dogs had had, had, had a, 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 what do you call it, batch of, yeah, a litter, a litter of dogs. <laughs> and they had, uh, they'd sold the four blacks and there were three yellows left. And the yellows hadn't sold and they were now five months old. And so we went down there and I looked at them. I picked out what I felt like was the best one. And, uh, so we, we bought her for, I found out later for a pittance of what she was worth. Uh, she came out of, Grand National Champion Kennels. Her mother and father were both master hunters. She had a pedigree, unbelievable, and I, that I should have paid several thousand dollars for the, for the dog, for the five month old dog, I paid $150. So I got, I got it. We named her Annie Oakley. Uh, and I knew that I had a champion on my hands. But as I began to train Annie, I, I realized this is the most difficult dog I've ever trained. She's got more potential than any dog I've ever trained, but she's, she's tougher than any I have ever trained. So we got into the fall and through dove season and, and, uh, and duck season is just opening. And the first week of duck season, uh, my son Tim and his daughter, uh, uh, help me, baby, huh? Damaris, my, my granddaughter Damaris and their, their lab, Scarlet, and me and Annie went hunting. Well, it was quite a hunt. The, uh, the water on the lake, we'd had a flood and the water had just gone down. So everything was thick, deep mud where we were hunting to get to the water. We we're in the mud. So we, to start it off, we shot some ducks that came in. I released Annie. Scarlet is already on her way out there to get a duck. Annie jumps on Scarlett's back and tries to drown her to take the duck away from her. When she's unsuccessful in that, then she sees the mojo, the, uh, the motion decoy. So she runs to that decoy, leaps on it, smashes the motion decoy, loses both of the wings in the water. Uh, finally, I get her back in and, uh, we shoot a duck. I send her to get it. Well, she gets the duck, and then she takes off on wild runs, playing keep away with me, running all over with, with the duck. Finally, she comes crashing, crashing back in, and drops the duck, runs to the mud, 
leaps on my granddaughter and gives her a giant hug, just puts mud all over Damaris. Then she runs to me and she jumps on me. She gets mud all over my glasses. I start trying to clean them and the lens comes out and it falls in the, in the mud and I lose my lens. But it doesn't matter anyway because my gun won't shoot. She's already got mud all in the action of my, my semi-automatic. It won't shoot. Uh, so it's beginning to be, and, and Tim's over there, Dad, get that dog under control. Get that dog under control. Well, then she, she goes to get another duck and then she suddenly realizes, why well, get one when there's a, a, a string of ducks hanging on the tree here? We got the duck strap with ducks hanging on it. So she grabs the whole string of ducks and she's running down the lake, slinging ducks, slinging ducks everywhere. I mean, it is becoming a wild fest. And then she goes and she goes to the truck and she finds Tim's hunting gloves and she gets them and she takes off across the field with his gloves and then finally it's time to come home and we can't get her to come get in the kennel because she says, I'm having so much fun, I'm not going home. That was her first hunt. Tim called it the hunt from hell. But I told Tim, I said, Tim, she will be the best dog that we have ever had. And he looks at me like, yeah. So I continue to work with Annie and I walk her every day. And here's what I'm saying. Every day I'm walking her. I say, Annie, you got the DNA of a champion in you. I know your behavior is not matching who you really are, but you have the DNA of a champion. You have the DNA of a great retriever. Every day I'm telling her that. Well, the second season, uh, we make a little improvement. Uh, she uh, a little better than she was that first hunt. Still plays catch away, keep away with me. She go get a duck and then she wants to play keep away and run, finally get her in. And Tim's saying, get the dog in here, dad. The ducks are coming. Get her in here. So I finally get her in there and put her back, put her back on her, her leash. And then she got to liking it so much. She's wanting ducks to come quicker. So she's sitting there and she's barking, trying to call, and we're trying to call ducks and she's barking. And the only way I can get her to stop barking, I have to rub her. My hand behind, on the back of her head, behind her ears. If I rub her ears, she won't bark. So I'm rubbing her ears all the time to keep her quiet. And then, uh, shot a duck. She went out and got the duck, brought it back in. Then she realized, wait a minute. One duck, there's 12 of them floating out there in front with strings on them. Why not get those? So boom, out she goes. Pretty soon all the decoys are piled up on the bank. And, uh, so that's the second year. We're making some improvement, but I'm still telling her, Annie, You've got the DNA of a champion. There's a champion in you. I know your behavior is not exactly matching who you really are, but you have the DNA of a champion. The third year, we begin to see glimpses of the real Annie. We begin to see what she could really be. She loves the hunt. She's fast. She's just, she's just got, she's dynamite. She's a dynamite dog. Now, she's still doing a few bad things. She's still bringing in a few decoys. And uh, she, she's quit the barking. She still likes to play keep away a little bit with me when she brings a duck in. But we're getting them back, back quicker. So, But I, I'm seeing now, I'm seeing the real Annie begin to come out. Last year, her fourth year, we're hunting with a champion. We're hunting with a dog now that, that has desire, that has speed, that is extremely intelligent. And I mean, she is, and Tim's began to look at her like, hmm, maybe so. 
Maybe so. Now, this fifth year coming up this, this fall, I expect to see the champion Annie at her best uh, as, as we hunt together. But what I'm telling you, it was always in her. The champion was in her. Her behavior didn't always match who she really was, but the champion was in her. It just has to be brought out. Now, with that in mind, let's go to Scripture in Jeremiah. Chapter 1. Verse 4, it's up there, you can read it out of your Bibles too. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb before I knew you, and before you were born I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. That's an awesome statement. My words in your mouth. Back when I was in the seminary, young 20 three-year-old preacher, the Lord spoke to me one time. He says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and they're going to be words of fire. Be words of fire in your mouth. Well, notice, when the Lord says to Jeremiah, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations, what is his response? I'm only a kid and I can't speak. What does God say to him? He calls him out. The Lord calls him out and says, do not say, I am only a kid. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Has God ever called you out? I've been called out a few times. I've heard him say, don't say that. Don't say that. You see, our words are powerful. Our words carry power. There's life and death and the power of the tongue. And so when we speak negative like that, I can't do that. That's not me. When we, when we speak, we are, we're actually creating a negative kind of faith that'll bring that to pass. God says, don't say that. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's who you really are. You may seem on the outside like you're a kid who can't talk, but on the inside, you are a prophet to the nations. And so quit saying you're a kid. So when we begin to speak our true identity, just like I'm talking to Annie, you're a champion. You got the DNA of a champion. When we begin to speak our true identity, praise God, we begin to become who we really are. Get that one. When you begin to speak your true identity, you begin to become who you really 
are. Praise God. Second example. We're going to look at three examples. Go to Judges 6. This is a more familiar story. Let's get in. Judges 6. Just a little bit of context. The Midianites have overrun the land of Israel, and basically the Israelites are near slaves to the Midianites. And it says in verse 11 of Judges 6, Now the angel of the Lord came and said under the oak of Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Normally you would not beat out wheat in a winepress, but he's down underground beating out this little bit of wheat so the Midianites won't see him and come and steal the wheat. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, we're going to read just a moment. Everything we're going to read, circumstances seem to defy that. Circumstances seem to defy that. You are a mighty man of valor. Was that true or not true? Was it true or not true? It's true. But it doesn't look like it, does it? Here he is, a frightened, afraid, down in a wine press, beating out a little bit of wheat. And listen, Gideon starts talking. And Gideon said to him, pray, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this befallen us? And where are all his wonderful deeds, which our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? He said, I've never even seen a miracle. We hear about all these miracles. I've never even seen one. But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the land of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, now look, God just, just ignores what he says, ignores it. Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, pray, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord said to him, but I'll be with you and you shall might smite the Midianites as one man. Now, I don't think the Lord's playing a joke on Gideon. I believe it's true. He's a mighty man of valor. God is seeing what's on the inside of him. Just like Annie. She's a champion. But circumstances, behavior seem to defy that, but she's a champion. Gideon is a mighty man of valor. God knows it. Gideon just doesn't know it yet. That's the problem. And so God's job is to get Gideon to believe it. And so he starts telling him, you're a mighty man of valor, and you've got power, and you're going to go, and you're going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And he says, oh, 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 no, not me. You got the wrong guy. I'm I'm the weak, I'm from the weakest group and I'm the least in my family. I'm just kind of a nobody. Now, who are we going to believe? I'm a mighty man of valor or I am the least and the weakest. Which one are we going to believe? Which one are you going to believe about yourself? Are you the least and the weakest and the can't do anything or the anointing of God's upon my life? I can do it. 
So God had a hard time getting that into Gideon's life and in his, into his heart. Even after he began to believe with his mind, he still had to get down his heart. But he works on getting it down into his heart. And finally, Gideon begins to believe, I am a mighty man of valor. That's who God says I am. And so what does he do? He just goes out with 300 Green Berets, attacks a Midianite army of 135,000 and sends them scattering, defeats them utterly and totally. And he's using such heavy artillery as trumpets and clay jars and torches. That's his equipment. And he defeats the Midianite army of 135,000. I think that's a mighty amount of valor, amen? That's a mighty amount of valor. But he had to come to believe it. God saw it in him. God knew it was in him. And he has to be, begin to convince him of who he really is. And then the third story. We're not going to preach very long today. Uh, I hope you come to the ordination. We're going to have fun at the ordination. Second Samuel 9. Now, this is my favorite story in the Bible, and we're just going to kind of recount a little bit of it to you. I would love to preach the whole story, but it's the story of Mephibosheth. You remember that <clears throat> King Saul had rejected the Lord, and the anointing that was upon his life had been lifted off of him and placed on the life of a young man named David. From the moment that the anointing left the life of Saul, his career was downhill. He, he makes bad decisions. He becomes confused. He can't hear a word from God. He's just not doing well. Finally, in desperation, with a, a huge Philistine army invading the land of Israel, in desperation to get a word from God, he went to a witch's den and tries to get an occult word from God in a witch's den. The next day, he goes into battle. The Bible says his shield not anointed with oil. The anointing is not upon him. And in that battle, King Saul dies. Prince Jonathan dies. Two more of the sons of Saul die. And the armies of Israel are defeated before the Philistines. And then we're told that back at the palace, the nurse who was keeping Jonathan's little five-year-old boy, when she gets word that the armies of Israel have been defeated and that Saul and Jonathan are dead, thinking that the Philistines will be here any moment, or probably more likely thinking David will be here any moment to execute the descendants of Saul to establish his kingdom. In her haste, she grabs this little five-year-old boy up, begins to run. She trips. She drops him. He receives a spinal injury and becomes a paraplegic. The story goes on, and David does become king. He becomes very successful as a king. He has many sons and daughters. He defeats the armies of Israel. He is very prosperous. His kingdom is the strongest kingdom in the world. And one day, he senses that something's missing. And he asks this question, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him covenant mercy for Jonathan's sake? And he receives word, yes, there's one left. His name is Mephibosheth. He's crippled at his feet. He's about 25 years old now. And he's living, hiding out in the desert at a place called Lodibar. David sends for Mephibosheth, sends his soldiers. They bring him to the palace in Jerusalem, deposit him there before the throne of the most powerful king upon the earth. 
And now we're going to read these words in, in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. Verse 6, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. And David said to him, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold your servant. And David said to him, Fear not. Now you have to remember, for 20 years Mephibosheth has lived in fear. He's lived in hiding. He's feared the day when King David would discover that he was still alive and that he would be executed. And so David looks down at him. He says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. For I will show you kindness. I'll show you hesed. That's the Hebrew. I'll show you covenant mercy for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Now, see, what David is telling him is that many, many, many years ago, I cut blood covenant with your daddy. And when I cut blood covenant with your daddy that day, I did not cut blood covenant just with Jonathan as an individual. I cut blood covenant with all those who were in the loins of Jonathan. I cut blood covenant with the house of Jonathan. And now I have found you. And I'm going to pour out the covenant blessings of God upon your life. Everything that you lost in the fall when your grandfather Saul died, and your father Jonathan died, everything that you lost, I restore it back to you. All the land, all the riches, I'm restoring it back to you. Mephibosheth, you are now a wealthy man. And he said, I'm restoring something else too. I don't want you living down there in that desert like, a, like an outcast. You're moving to Jerusalem, into the palace, and you're going to take your place at my table among the sons of the king. Whoa. Wow. Now look at his response. And he did obeisance and said, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Whoa. That was his false identity. I am a what? Dead dog. Now, we've all seen dead dogs on the side of the highway, right? It's never a pretty sight. They're usually laying there around the side. They're all bloated. There's blood all over them. Sometimes guts are hanging out. Flies are on them. Their tongue is hanging out of their mouth. It's an awful sight. That was his identity. That's the way Mephibosheth saw him. Self, I am a stinking, no good, dead dog failure. And I don't understand how you can show such blessings, mercy upon my life. Wow. Now, I want to tell you something. That dead dog picture was a lie. It was a lie. He was the grandson of a king, the son of the crown prince of Israel, and a covenant friend of King David. That was the truth. That was the truth. So the issue is now, what are you going to believe? That you're a dead dog failure, no good meaningless nothing, or that you are a highly favored son of the king. It's all going to come down to what do you believe, right? Am I an unruly dog 
who does bad things when we're hunting, whose behavior is not good, or do I have the DNA of a champion? Am I a champion? Am I a dead dog? Or am I the covenant son of the king? Well, he moves into the palace and, and, you know, sometimes it's just hard for us to get a hold of it and really believe who we really are, isn't it? It's just kind of hard for us to believe it sometimes. I, I'm sure it was hard for Mephibosheth that first night in the palace. You see him as he gets in bed and pulls those silk sheets up and says, Woohoo! What's a dead dog like me doing in a place like this? This is too good to be true. But it was true. It was true. That's who he really was. He was not a dead dog. Now, I wrote this out to read to you. Tell me if this is true or if I just made all this up. In Christ, I'm a blessed and highly favored son or daughter of the king. I am no longer who I was. All things have become new. I have a victorious DNA in me. I'm dead to sin and alive to God. I prosper in everything I put my hand to. I prosper in all my relationships. I prosper in my career. I prosper in my ministry. I prosper in my finances. I'm healed and healthy because Jesus took my sicknesses. I'm a victor, not a victim. Somebody here needs to hear that. There's somebody here that grew up in an alcoholic home. And you feel like you missed out so much because you didn't really have a daddy. And you feel like I, I just kind of a loser in life. Listen, get over that. You're a victor, not a victim if you're in Christ. You're a victor. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Who God says I am is more important than who my parents said I am. More important than who my teachers at school said I am. More important than the, who the kids at school said I am. More important than what the devil says I am or circumstances say I am. I say I am in Christ and I am complete. Praise God. Now that's the truth. That's the truth. Wow. So who are you this morning? Are you just a youth who can't talk? I'm unleashed in my family. I can't do anything. I'm just a dead dog. Who are you? Let's believe the truth. I mean, one of the, one of the things that helped me most, right after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Baptist preacher, all my life as a Baptist, I've been taught, confess your sins, confess your sins, confess your sins. And, and that's a good thing too. But I was sin conscious. And I got a hold of a little pamphlet by Kenneth Hagin that was entitled In Christ or In Him. And I began to read that little pamphlet. And he talked about confessing not just your sins, but confess who you are in Christ. And I began to study the New Testament as I read that little book and found out 278 times the New Testament. You'll find the words in Christ, in Him, through Him, by Him. And I began to believe that. That's who I really am. That's who I really am. Praise God. Listen, folks. This old business that, you know, we've been, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. 
Listen, the Bible says you're dead to sin, alive to God. You say, oh, well, wait, but sometimes I sin. We all do. But I refuse to be defined by a failure. Don't let sin define you. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi and Ephesus and all of them, says, writes, to all the sinners at Philippi. What? No, to all the saints at Philippi. I, do, I refuse to be defined as a sinner when I'm a New Testament saint. That's what the Bible says. I know some of you come from a Catholic background that saints some special Christian that the Pope says you're a saint. But all of us are saints, folks, if we're in Christ. Amen? We're all saints. Praise God. So I'm a New Testament saint. I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. So I want to encourage you this morning, believe who you are. I know it's not easy for some people to come from a tough background, you've been beat down all your life, and to hear that you're a winner and an overcomer, that's hard for you to believe. But it was hard for Mephibosheth to believe too when he's in that palace that he was now royalty, amen? It was hard. But just get a hold of it. Believe it. Dare to believe it. Begin to say it. I'm not just a youth who can't talk. I'm a prophet to the nations, praise God. I'm not the least in my family. I'm, more, I, I'm a mighty man of valor, praise God. I'm not a dead dog. I'm a covenant son of the king. Praise God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Let's take, we have time for a little bit of ministry here. And uh, I, uh, I want to pray for people this morning. Somebody who's still struggling with this dead dog thing. I'm, you know, maybe, maybe, God, maybe you were programmed for that. Maybe you were programmed for failure by your mother and daddy. Maybe they were told you could never do anything right. Maybe, maybe you didn't do well at school. You always felt like I'm just a flunky. I can't do anything. Listen, let's get that thing killed this morning. Let's see it die and have a new picture birthed in you that I'm a highly favored son or daughter of the king whom he wants to pour out his covenant blessings upon. I'm not just an old sinner, but I'm one of those New Testament saints that's been washed in the blood of Jesus and given standing before the God of the universe. Praise God. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask any that need prayer this morning. You're still struggling with who you really are. We want, we want to pray about your true identity this morning, who you really are in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and then the moment I finish praying, just make your way here to the altar, and Todd and Brandon and uh, others of us hit, that pray at the altar will be here to pray for you. Father, we thank you and we bless you for the truth of the Word of God. Lord, we're thankful. We believe. We, we're just so thankful that Jeremiah believed and he did become a prophet to the nations. We're thankful that Gideon finally believed and he did become a mighty man of valor. And we're thankful Mephibosheth did believe and he, he, he began to live as a covenant son of the king with his feet under the king's table. And Lord, we just want to, we want to be people who believe who we really are. Who we really are. When we believe who we are, we'll begin to become who we are. When we speak who we really are, we'll begin to become who we really are. Lord, we thank you for that. 
We thank you for that. May this altar be full of the power of God, full of the anointing, full of the, the ability to cast out demons, the ability to impart truth. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. With our heads still bowed, in need prayer, just get up very quickly from where you are, all around this auditorium. Just make your way here to, here to the altar. We'll pray with you. As people are coming, you just find your way here. We take just a moment. Just find your way here. Honey, come on in here. Come on in here. Come on in here. Come on over here. You've always felt, well, I'm just not much of a Christian. I can't hear God. I, I, I can't serve. I can't do anything. Listen. Listen. Get off of that. It's a lie. If you've been born again, you've got a spirit that can hear God. You've got a heart to serve. Let's start, let's start believing the truth this morning. As people are coming, just find your way here to join them. We still got plenty of time to pray. Praise God.